Um, okay, so a few years back, um, Elise and I went to see that Disney animated movie Onward. Did you guys see that? You know what I'm talking about? Um, when did that movie come out? I can't remember. Does anyone remember? 2002. Did, no, it was not 2002. <laughs> we got a heckler in the crowd. Um, anyways, so, okay, so it was a few years back. Anyways, um, we went to see this movie with my parents because my sister had recommended it uh, to my parents. And, and so we, we go to see this in the theaters, but for some reason my mom had it in her mind that my sister recommended a completely different movie about a guy and his dog. I don't, I don't know what movie that was, but she kept thinking the whole time that this movie we were seeing about, was about this guy and his, and his dog, which if you've seen the movie Onward, that's, that's not the movie. It's about these two brothers and, you know, this thing with their dad, and I don't know. It's a really good movie. I would recommend it. Um, but it's not the movie my mom thought it was. And so the whole time we're watching this, she keeps leaning over to my dad, and she's, and she's asking, you know, like, where's the dog? And my dad's kind of getting frustrated, you know, because they have that cute, you know, marriage bickering thing. And, and he, he keeps leaning back to her like, that's not this movie. That's a different movie. And so she kept asking this the whole movie. Um, anyways, there's no dog. There's no dog in the movie. And, and then um, the movie ends, and we're, we're asking each other how we all liked it. And we asked my mom, and she said something to the effect of like, well, it was, it was fine, but I just kept waiting for the dog. And we're like, no, mom, that's not, that's not this movie. And anyways, she laughed about it too, so I asked her if I could share the story, not to make her look goofy, but um, it was funny. Anyways, but... What's interesting is that my mom's movie viewing experience was um, confusing, maybe disappointing. I don't know, maybe she liked the movie. But for the sake of the illustration, let's say she was disappointed by this movie because she, she went into the movie with a set of expectations. She was hoping that the movie was going to be um, about this guy and his dog, and then that's not what the movie was about. And so um, she was confused. She was disappointed. And... And I think this can be a helpful illustration for, for uh, how it is when we approach the Bible sometimes. And I'm, I'm guilty of this too. I'll come to the Bible with a, a set of expectations of what the story is supposed to be, who Jesus is, um, and, and when the Bible doesn't meet those expectations, I get confused or I get frustrated. And, and maybe for some of us here, this is why we've kind of given up on even just trying to read it or, or study it, because we're confused. It's not meeting our expectations, you know. So maybe we think of the Bible as the moral guidebook, right? It's going to give us the seven steps to, you know, being a good Christian or maybe even just a good person. Um, and then you read the narratives about King David and you think, where's the moral in this? Or you stumble upon, like, the book of Leviticus, which I actually like the book of Leviticus, but it's ancient law code for Israel. And you know, you read this and you think, okay, well, I wanted the moral guidebook, but I didn't really want this. You know, like, do I really have to obey all these laws? There's like 600 plus laws in that, you know. Or maybe you think of uh, the Bible as the motivational calendar. You know, it's got the really nice quotes that give you the warm fuzzies. Um, and then, you, you know, like we went through Revelation, and you're like, I'm not putting that on my coffee mug. Although I'm sure the Cattersons probably would do something like that. Um, anyways, I'm sorry, I'm picking on you. But <laughs> um, you, you, get, you get the point, though. I'm, 
I'm kind of beating the dead horse here, but uh, we have these expectations, and, and when the Bible doesn't meet those expectations, we get disappointed. And, and the reason I'm talking about this is because in the passage that we're going to be going through, Peter has a specific story in mind of who Jesus is. And, and, he's, and he's arguing this story with, with his audience. And, and, it's, and he's saying that it's so essential to have this story in mind to understand Jesus, who he is, and what he's come to do. So I want this in the back of our minds. Think about what is the story? Who do you think Jesus is? What do you think Jesus has come to do? Um, because Peter is going to give us indications of this story. And he's going to say, understanding this is a key to understanding Jesus, right? So just keep that in the back of your minds as we're um, going through this passage. Now, this is a very long passage, so I, I broke it up into two chunks. And I said to Kevin this morning, because I'm like newer to preaching, you get all the, like, the experimental preaching stuff where I'm like just trying out new things. So we're going to see if this works. But I, I decided to break it into two chunks. So we're going to first start with um, verses 11 through 16. We're, we're in uh, chapter 3 of Acts, by the way. Um, so if you have a Bible, uh, feel free to follow along. Otherwise, we've got it on the screen here for you. Um, but I think it is helpful to be following along, even as I'm, you know, unpacking these verses, looking at the, at the text. Um, at least that's helpful for me. I don't know. But, okay, so let me start in verse 11 here. Uh, while he clung to Peter, so this is um, just a preface uh, what, we, what we read last week was about the, you know, Peter and John going to the temple, and there's the lame man who's asking for money, and instead of giving money, um, Peter says, rise up and walk, and he heals the man completely. So this passage comes immediately after what just happened. So while he clung to Peter, meaning the, the lame man, he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the Holy and Righteous One and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given this man perfect health in the presence of you all. Okay. So again, just to preface, they just healed this man, and you can kind of picture that, you know, the crowds are forming around all of them, and it says that they uh, were utterly astounded at this, right? They just witnessed this incredible miracle, and Peter sees this as an opportunity to preach to them about Jesus. Um, and so he begins by taking the attention and the focus off of him and John, and he begins to point them to Jesus. So this is what he says in verse 12. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this, or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? He's saying there's nothing within us 
we have no strength or, or power within us to, to heal this man. So he's taking the, the, the focus and the attention off of himself, and then he goes and he, and he directs their attention to Jesus. And in verse 16, he says, And his name, meaning Jesus' name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong. Okay, taking the focus and attention off of himself, saying we have no power authority to heal this man. But this was done in the name of, of Jesus. Um, and, and we actually see this in, in the passage that we read last week, where when he healed the man, he actually called upon the name of Jesus audibly. He said, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And what he's doing there is he's, he's calling upon the authority and the power of Jesus. And so it's as if Jesus is, is literally working through Peter to heal this man. This isn't just some kind of like magic word that, you know, like a magic spell kind of thing that casts if No, it's the authority and the, and the power of Jesus that's working through Peter. And when we started this series, Kevin um, talked about, on, on the very first Sunday of the series, he talked about the, the title of this book and the subscript of it, which is the Acts of the Apostles. But he mentioned how this can be a little misleading because you think, okay, we're just going to witness the apostles doing a lot of cool stuff, right? Um, But actually what we begin to see is that it's the apostles, yes, they're doing stuff, but it's Jesus that's working through them. And this is a very, very clear example. That's what Peter's saying here, is we did not have any power or authority to heal this man. This was Jesus working through us. This was the power and the authority of Jesus himself. But then he also said that this healing took place um, by faith in his name. By faith in his name. And he's going to continue to unpack this in verse 16. But before I get to that, um, this, was, this was one of the things that was so profound to me as I was studying. Um, because, so I, I kind of, uh, in my younger years, were, were in some church circles that, you know, were... Um, talking about this idea of faith in God moving as you need to have, like, an intense amount of faith. You need to have X amount of faith for God to work. And I would hear stories of, of people, you know, saying, like, okay, they're trying to heal a man in a church context, and they would usher out some of the people in the congregation who didn't have enough faith. Like, you can't be here because you don't have enough faith to heal this man. You know, and I would hear stories of this, um, and, and that always kind of troubled me. Because I would pray for things to happen, and I would think, do I not have enough faith if it's not happening the way that I anticipate it? It should. But I think that completely misses the point. I mean, let's contextualize it here. Let's, let's make it contextualized for Center Church. We're praying for healing for Michael Pastor, and it's not happening in the way that we anticipate. Do we, as Center Church, not have enough faith? I don't think that's the answer. And, and I think that's clear with what with what Peter says, because this is what he says, and it's so profound. He says, By faith in his name has made this man strong, whom you see and know, and the faith that is through Jesus. Through Jesus. So, so not only is he saying that he had faith in Jesus that healed this man, but it was faith that came through Jesus. The faith that he had to believe in Jesus to heal this man was also faith that was by means of Jesus. Jesus supplied that faith to Peter. And this was so profound as I'm studying this, um, because this kind of reminds me of what the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians, and we'll, we'll pull this up on the slides here, but 
In Ephesians 2, 8, Paul says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. And that gift is including both the being saved and having the, the faith. So any ounce of faith that you have for God to move in some area is actually a gift of God working through your life. That's what Peter's saying too, that, that the faith that he had to heal this man was, was gifted to him by Jesus. And so this isn't, okay, you just have to have this intense amount of faith. It's, it's faith that comes through Jesus. And, and, okay, so I just found that so profound because we see that as a picture of grace, right? This is a picture of grace. This isn't Peter, look, look at how awesome Peter is and let's try to just have enough faith like Peter. No, this is, look at the faith that Jesus is supplying to Peter in this moment. Okay, so he points their attention to Jesus, but he also does it in kind of an interesting way um, because he begins to basically uh, convict them of sin that they committed by saying, you killed the author of life. You killed Jesus. And so he's speaking to a Jewish audience here. um, And just, just to clarify, it's easy to read this and think, well, he's just talking to the Jewish people, and they're the ones that, you know, killed Jesus. But later in, in Acts chapter 4, the, the, the church is gathered together, they're praying, and, and they say, um, oh, I'm trying to find it here. Um, they say, they're praying, and they say, for truly in this city we're gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel. So, right now, Peter's contextualizing it to the people he's speaking to, but the reality is that basically every single person is guilty of committing the sin, of rejecting Jesus, and, and, and whether it's literally or metaphorically crucifying the, the Messiah, right? All of us are guilty of this. So, so as we read this, yes, he's, he's speaking to the audience, but we should feel that weight ourselves. We should feel as if he's speaking to us, cutting us, uh, and, and, saying, and saying, you were the ones who, who killed the author of life, right? So he's introducing Jesus, but he's kind of giving them a punch to the gut. But then what follows, I think, is kind of interesting. And so now we're going to get into the second section. So I'm going to read this, um, starting in verse 17. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me, from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaim these days, you are the sons of the prophet and of the covenant that God made with your father, saying to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. I'm going to be honest, when I, when I first read all of that, 
I thought, man, Peter's so disjointed, right? Like, it sounds like he's just jumping around from this thing to this thing, and, and he's bringing in all these Old Testament passages, and I'm kind of like, okay, what's going on here? But as I continued to, to meditate on this and study it, I, I was like, man, Peter's actually really clever in being unified here in, in what he's talking about, so I'm hoping that we can kind of see how this all relates to, to one another. Um, okay, so again, he, they healed this man. He's taking the focus and attention off of him and John, and he's bringing them to Jesus, saying Jesus was the one who healed this man. And, he's, and he does so by saying, but you guys are, are guilty of, of killing Jesus. But then this is what he says in verse 17, and I find this really fascinating. He says, and now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. And, and this is fascinating because he just said, you guys are guilty of the sin, but you also acted in ignorance when you did it. And I don't think he's just being nice to them, you know, like, don't, don't worry about this awful sin that you did because you didn't really understand what you were doing. I don't think that's the point. Because what he's doing is he's, is he's getting to the, the root cause underneath something internal within them that's preventing them from understanding who Jesus is. And this goes back to that idea of, of what is the story of Jesus that you have in mind. Because he's talking about this idea of ignorance. And so keep, keep thinking about that as we're going through this. What is that story of Jesus? I want you to just have that and answer that question for yourself. Um, so we actually get glimpses throughout Jesus's life and ministry of what, it, what this ignorance that Peter's talking about. Um, so we, we've got, I've got one example here, and it's actually from Peter himself. Um, so this is from Matthew 16, and um, to set the scene, Jesus is with his disciples, and he says to them, he's talking to the disciples about how he's going to suffer, and he's going to die, and then three days later he's going to rise again, which all happened, right? And so Jesus is saying to the disciples, this is what's going to happen to me. I'm going to suffer, I'm going to die. But then this is what Peter does. He, t- he takes Jesus aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Jesus turns and says to Peter, Get behind me, Satan, you are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Peter was ignorant, right? Peter was ignorant, and and he couldn't see the fact that he didn't understand the story of, of what Jesus was supposed to do because he had a different story in mind. He's like, no, that's not going to happen to you. You're not going to die. You're not going to suffer and, and, and have these things happen to you. He, he, he couldn't see who, what, the story of Jesus, right? Um, but there, even in this, there's so much grace. Because, I mean, there's, there's times in Jesus' ministry where Peter gets it right, and, and then there's times like this where he, he didn't really understand. But look at what's so fascinating is now back in our... Um, passage in Acts here. In verse 18, so he says, you guys acted in ignorance to the Jewish people. And then he says, but what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that is Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. So now Peter actually gets it, you know. At one point he's saying, no, 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 Jesus, you're not going to suffer. And now here he is, he's actually preaching that truth, saying, look, this was supposed to happen. Jesus was supposed to suffer. And I think this, this was helpful for me at least, and, and, and seeing how, how gracious Jesus is with Peter through that whole time. 
you know, sometimes we, we want the, the experience like the Apostle Paul. You know, the Apostle Paul, he's on the road to Damascus, he's persecuting Christians, he hates Christians, and then boom, he gets this radical vision of Jesus, and his whole life is just completely altered in that moment, right? And, and I feel like I have so many times where I think, I just need to have this boom, radical moment, and maybe some of us experience that, and that's great, and, I, and I'm not saying we shouldn't, but I feel like my life's more like Peter, where I have these times where I'm like, I really understand Jesus, and then I just completely don't, right? I just don't get it. But you see the grace of Jesus working through Peter, and now here he is preaching the truth that he once denied. And, and so even in this, there's grace. I feel like we're just being hit on the head with grace today. I love it. Um, so he's saying, he's saying that um, this was supposed to happen, but what's interesting too is he's saying, in your ignorance, God still used that to bring about the suffering of Jesus, which we know leads to our redemption, our salvation. Jesus' crucifixion on the cross, his suffering, is what brings us salvation. So God used this ignorance of, of the Jewish people to lead to salvation. And now he's beginning to reason with them this story of Jesus. And he does so by going back to the Old Testament. He begins this by saying, um, what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets— so he's, he's talking about the Old Testament, the scriptures that they had, and he's saying, this is the picture of Jesus, and this was supposed to happen because the Old Testament points to it. The Old Testament's talking about it. And, and this, is, this is one of the reasons why we're convinced of this at Center Church. I mean, we, we preach it every single Sunday that Jesus is the whole point, right? Jesus is the main point of everything, because of passages like this where it's saying this, was, this is supposed to happen because the Old Testament's talking about Jesus. And we see that. And so he's going to be arguing for this by quoting some other Old Testament passages. And, and he's going to be saying, look, this is the story of Jesus that you should have in mind. You guys were ignorant in this, but here is who Jesus is, and I'm going to prove it to you by going back to the Old Testament because all of this is about him. So we're going to look at these two Old Testament quotations. The first is in verse 22, um, and, he, and he's quoting from Deuteronomy, and this is, this is Moses speaking. Um, so Deuteronomy is basically Moses's parting words to the people of Israel before they entered into the promised land, right? And, and what Moses says to them is, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. So, so Peter's quoting this Old Testament passage to say that prophet that, that Moses talked about, and they would have understood this. They all, they all knew their Bibles. And he said that that prophet that Moses was talking about is Jesus. That's who, that's who Moses was talking about. But he's using this to say, and look what Moses says that, that we shouldn't do with the prophet. He says, and it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. He's saying, don't reject the prophet that Moses spoke about because Moses told you not to do it. He's, he's arguing with them from their scriptures. And he's saying, Jesus is the whole point of this and, and you should not reject him. And then he goes on to use another Old Testament quotation. And this comes from Genesis, um, where God is promising uh, to Abraham about having 
offspring. And, and so, so Abraham was um, before Israel because he was the father of Israel, and, and God promised him he's going to have this offspring that's going to turn into this huge family that's going to be the nation of Israel, right? And, and so in this um, quotation, this is what God promises. And in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. In your, in your offspring, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And what Peter is saying is that offspring is referring to Jesus. Again, he's just saying the main point of all of this is Jesus. He's saying all of these people in the Old Testament are talking about Jesus, and, and Jesus is the one that brings about this blessing, and it's to all the families of the earth, right? So he continues saying, God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first, to the Jewish people first, to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. So, so we see how Jesus was first sent to the Jewish people, and that's what he's talking about. He's saying Jesus was first sent to you to bring about blessing to you so that that blessing can go forth to all of the nations. And we see this even in the book of Acts, where as you continue to read along, you start to see how more and more uh, people groups and nations are being added into um, Jesus's family, right? And, and we're a living proof of it today. Like, we're here in 21st century America, and, and the gospel has reached to us, and it started by Jesus being a blessing to the people of Israel, which leads to all the nations. And he's saying that, so this promise from, to Abraham was, was a promise about Jesus being a blessing, right? So, so he's, he's quoting all of these Old Testament passages to tell them that this is the story of Jesus that you should have in mind. Jesus is the prophet that Moses spoke about, meaning Jesus is, is the one who's speaking on behalf of God. And Moses told you not to reject him. You already did that, but don't reject him now. He's, he's, he's saying don't reject the prophet, the one speaking on behalf of God. And he is the one that, that was promised to Abraham to bring blessing. That's what he's doing. And, and so, and so he's, he's pleading with them to see how Jesus is the main point of this whole story. So, so what are they to do with all this? Well, in verse 19, you know, he, so he's convicting them of the sin. He's, he's arguing with them as to why they ought not to reject Jesus. But then he says, repent, therefore, and turn back. And, and so it's not just, okay, ask for forgiveness, but it's, which, which is a part of it for sure. But this, it's repenting and turning back, turning away from this sin and turning towards Jesus. Again, because he's just telling them, look, look to the, the prophet that Moses spoke about. Don't reject him. Turn towards him. Turn towards Jesus. That's what he's pleading with them to do. And he says, that your sins may be blotted out, because it is only through Jesus that, that they'll find restoration and redemption from their sins. Now, again, I talked about how, you know, we shouldn't just read this as just to the Jewish people, but, but to us too today. This is true for us. You know, we, we stand guilty and convicted, right, of, of, of crucifying Jesus in one way or another. And, and what Peter's saying to us right now is saying, turn, turn away from that and turn to Jesus. He, he is the one speaking for God. He's the one bringing about that blessing. Turn to him so that your sins may be blotted out. But then he also says that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, that the, the time for restoring of all things about which God spoke 
by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. So, so it's so that your sins may be blotted out, but also so that times of refreshing may come. The, the times of restoring all things. So this actually relates to the gospel primer, and, and, I, and I picked a passage that surprisingly was very similar. That was not planned by any means. Um, but this is another Old Testament quotation that I want us to look at. And, but, but to preface, so, so the Jewish people were anticipating that God was going to restore all of humanity, redeem all things, redeem God's people, right? The, the, and, and we feel that today, too. You know, there's, there's so much brokenness in the world. that. Um, so they were anticipating this, and they were anticipating it because of passages like the one that we're about to read and the one that Kevin read this morning. But this comes from Isaiah 35. And so this is God speaking through the prophet Isaiah, talking about this restoration that will happen. Then the eyes of the blind shall be open. And the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness, this is just like the gospel primer, and streams in the desert. And, and so what God is speaking through Isaiah is there's going to be a time in the future where there's going to be a restoration of all things. And it's using this Garden Eden imagery that, that's, a lot, that's common um, throughout the Bible. So, so the Garden of Eden was a place of, of life and abundance, and there was a river that flowed through the Garden of Eden. And so it's talking about this, this, this water, this stream that's going to flow f- forth through the desert, because the desert's this picture of, of desolation and waste and, 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 a, and a world that's, that's not of abundance, right? But he says there's going to be abundance, there's going to be a restoration to creation, but there's also going to be a restoration to the human body, right? Then the eyes of the blind shall be open, the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. So this was, this was the restoration, the hope that the Jewish people had. And what, what Peter is saying to them, you know, so, so maybe, you know, we don't know for sure, but this could have been an accusation against Peter, saying, okay, we understand that because they believed that there, there was the, the Christ, the Messiah, who is Jesus, that when he came, he was going to bring about all this restoration, right? They believed that. And so they might say to Peter, well, Peter, okay, if Jesus is really who he says he is, then why didn't he restore all things? We're still in this broken world, right? And what Peter is saying is, that's still yet to come. Just because Jesus came doesn't mean that, and, and he's not here now, doesn't mean that that's not happening. Because he says, um, he says that Jesus is in heaven, and he's in heaven until um, the time of restoring of all things is to come. So, that, so, so he's saying that's still to come. But also, why is he talking about this? Because, well, this is what we just experienced in this passage. And just like Isaiah talked about, they healed the lame man. So what he's saying is we're getting a glimpse of that restoration right now. It's not fully here yet, but here is a picture of the restoration of Jesus, right? And this kind of even goes back to that promise of Abraham, bringing about the blessing. And, and so, man, I don't, this is just so cool. I love this. But, okay, so they're getting a picture, a glimpse of the restoration of Jesus, and he's saying it's, it's still yet to come, 
but we experience it here and now, even in the, the removal of our sins, right? And we're experiencing this here today. Like, we're, we're here in, in Hayes Elementary. We're, we're worshiping, singing songs about Jesus. We're, we're coming to read the scriptures and to see Jesus, to experience him together in community. The fact that we even have that is the work of God in our life, the work of Jesus, the removal of our sins. We're, we're, we're experiencing this, the, the, the turning away from, from our wickedness towards Jesus, right? And that's what he says. This blessing will bring about the turning. He says, Jesus will bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. This isn't a you turn yourself. This is a Jesus is the one doing the turning for you, right? And so this is a, included in that blessing, and we're seeing another glimpse of it through the healing of, of this man, right? And, and so I kind of want to ask the question, though, with, with all of this is like, so what? You know, it's, it's cool to, to know Old Testament and see how it's all pointing to Jesus and cool to, you know, okay, Peter healed this guy and that's kind of cool. But like, like how, does that, how does that matter to me, you know, in the 21st century? And um, so I'm going to make it personal to me. Uh, I have a tendency to get frustrated easily and at least uh, my wife can attest to that especially with projects, like, um, you know, it's kind of like, as soon as I'm about to start a new project on the house, she's like, are you going to get frustrated? I'm like, no, 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 not this time. And then, like, five minutes later, she hears the huffing and puffing and probably can feel the steam from my ears, because it never goes the way that I want it to, and it's so maddening, man. I don't like it. Um, You know, like, the the screw is stripped out, and you can't get it out, and it's like, well, now my whole life is ruined. And, um, but, you know, like, I get frustrated, and especially when things don't go my way. And in those moments, I'm not believing the story of Jesus, right? Because these are temporary things. And even if we experience um, healing, that's still temporary, right? Like, if, if God heals us of an ailment, we're bound to get another ailment at some point, and eventually all of us pass away. I'm sorry to be kind of a downer, but like it's, it's going to happen. And, and so even in these moments, they're temporary. What are we hoping in? Well, we're hoping in the fact that Jesus is going to restore all things. And I think Kevin talked about that this morning. Like, like we have eternity in mind, and we have the, the hope of eternity in Jesus. And so in those moments, we can be believing you know, I'm speaking to myself here. I'm, I'm getting frustrated because, you know, the screwdriver's not working like I want it to, and I'm like, this is temporary. Jesus is going to restore all things. There's going to be a house where I don't have to fix every little, you know, leaky faucet, whatever, you know, and, and I'm not going to have all the ailments, and my body's going to work 100%. You know, we, we anticipate and we hope in that, but this is just the gift of grace of Jesus. He's the one bringing that blessing, but even more so, Maybe we could start to think about how can we start to bring glimpses of that blessing to other people. And again, even as I say that, I'm not saying, you know, go and try to just, you know, do miracles and do awesome things. No, this is Jesus just working through us, and all we have to do is, is, just, is just turn towards him. That's what, that's what Peter's saying, just repent and turn towards Jesus, because he's going to bring about the blessing. And so any time we experience glimpses of that in our lives, that's an act of grace, and it's a reminder of the ultimate restoration that will come when Jesus returns. So we've got two points of gospel application here. 
and I'm not going to spend too much time on them because I already kind of explained them, but the first one is Jesus will restore all things. It's going to happen, and we have that hope, and that hope can shape us. That hope can help us get through whatever situations we're struggling with or, or whatever circumstances we have. But the second one is faith is through Jesus. So even your ability to believe and to hope in that Jesus is going to restore all things, that's a gift of God. That's a gift of Jesus working through that because he's gifting you that faith. The, the ability for you to be here at Center Church on a Sunday morning, you know, reading the Word of God, all of that is, is, is Jesus working faith through you. Your ability to bring about glimpses of restoration in your work. You know, maybe, maybe, you, maybe you talk with someone about Jesus and, and you bring a little bit of restoration to their life. That's Jesus working through you. And these are all just indicators of, of the ultimate hope and restoration that we have in Jesus when he ultimately returns.